Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm and Hammer odor control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma for Tuesday, December 20th, 2011. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do once a month on Blog Talk Radio. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals to lead organizational change at Enclaria, LLC. The Change Agent's Dilemma is how to influence change without authority, and my goal with this show is to provide ideas and share stories to help you do just that. Today, my guest is Martin Fenwick, who is joining us from all the way in New Zealand, and he is here to talk about how to create a safe space for change within your organization. Martin is the Principal Consultant and Director of The Change Factor, Consultants and Advisors of Change Management. With over 20 years of experience, Martin consults on delivery of change programs, working with managers, leaders, and directors within a range of companies such as Air New Zealand, BP, Chevron, Coca-Cola Amatil, and others in New Zealand, Australia, Europe, and the UK. Prior to consulting, Martin held general and senior manager roles in BP for 17 years. He led major change programs from large-scale redundancy to integration of business units, as well as managing operational units with over 400 employees. Martin, welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for being here. And it's summer over there, and it's getting to winter over here. So thank you for taking some time out of your beautiful day to be here. It's a pleasure. So let's just start with the basics. We talked about, or I started off by talking about we need to create this safe space for change. So uh, why don't you just start with what is that and and why do you need to create a safe space for change? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, the way we talked about it not that long ago, Heather, is that when you're driving change from the middle of the organization, one thing to think about is, that's very different if it's part of an all-company initiative. You know, when HR comes out of something or CEO does something and encompasses and embraces the whole organization, well, that's totally different. What we're talking about here is if you're one leader with your own division or your own department and you're driving your your own your own change, which is kind of what you're there for, but you've not got, in a sense, the sort of protection of being part of it as, a, as the whole business, and uh, so you're not, you're not sheltered. So, so really what, what we're talking about is, the, is what you need to think about to make that change succeed. And the, the way that I like to look at it is like putting a bubble around yourself and your department um, so that it's sheltered and protected as you go through that change. So what are the implications if you don't create this bubble? Well, like any change, you know, change management does have a lot of organization around it, as you know. And um, you treat change management as a project, and all of the managers that you work with will know, you know, you've got to think about the risks and the issues and things that are going to block and enable it before you launch. And most people will think about all those, you know, the hardware and the software kind of things. 
But when I'm looking at creating the change bubble, um, I, I, I actually like people to have a, have a think about them and what they need to be prepared for. I'm looking at the leader taking a step back and going, okay, I can plan this stuff, but what's it going to take from me? What do I need to prepare around me? And what do I need to be doing for my people that it's going to take from me in order to set this safe place of change up? So it's stepping outside a little bit of the normal change management planning and taking a good hard look at yourself as a leader and saying, you know, this is what I need to do to get ready to make sure this thing works. If it doesn't, as we all know, change can fail, but it will just be another dimension of another thing that will come at you that you weren't ready to, um, you weren't ready for, that will cause your change to fall over. Mm-hmm. So going outside the boundaries, really, of uh, project management and, and thinking about uh, people side of change, but really, how am I going to make this? How am I going to help this survive within the organization? That's exactly it. It's the bit that I found many leaders don't really expect until they've done it once or twice and they learn and really what you and I are all about is making sure that they don't need to learn too much the hard way and that we get them prepped up. So what are some of the things that you need to protect from? Well, protect the yeah, well, well, the way I like to look at it is that uh, there, are four, there are four layers to the bubble and you, you, you need to start actually before you launch the change, because this is, you're talking about prep. Uh, You're talking about prep. And as I say, you're talking about looking at your prep and what you need to do. Okay? And the first one, I think the the first one and one of the most important ones that really creates the first layer is what I call permission. Now, because we're not talking about an organizational-wide change, you're kind of going out on a limb here and saying, look, this is what I want to do in my department or my division. Now, this is where most senior leaders learn about change anyway. You've got to do it at some point in the middle of the organization before you do it at the top. But part of what you learn very quickly when you're doing it just in your little department or your division or, you know, your silo of the business is that you do actually need a certain degree of permission. You certainly need to know if your boss is going to be behind you? Is your boss going to like cut you the slack to have a go at this? Because inevitably, if somebody doesn't like it, and that's one of the things we'll talk about in a minute at the other layers of the bubble, but if some other person in the organization doesn't like what you're doing, right, they're going to go at your boss and say, hey, you, know, you need to cut this, you need to stop this. Cause, because that's what happens in organizations. You, know, you try and change stuff and other people don't like it. So one of the first ones is, is is permission. It's about, you know, your boss saying, hey, you know, okay, I'm with you. Give this a try. And one of the things that I've found that I really kind of like is, is the idea that one little corner of the business could be a positive virus for change. Um, and I know a lot of really smart, you know, CEOs and senior people that, that kind of like that approach and they'll let somebody have a go in the corner of the business, try something, and just see if that actually starts to create a little wave of change throughout the business. And so, you know, you, you want to check whether they're happy with that. They might see it as a positive virus. You've got to check how much detail they need to be happy. What are the boundaries? You know, there's going to be a place that you could go that your boss is going to go, you know what, that's it, that, you know, I don't like that. 
So mm-hmm. as part of checking permission is right up front, making sure your boss knows what you're doing and why you're doing it and that you have their their support. And when you've got that, you've got the first layer of the bubble. So do you think that there's room for the saying there's it's better to ask per or what is it? It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've tried both, and really, um, I, it really depends on your relationship with your boss, your understanding of the politics of the organisation. Um, yeah, in my time, I learned my trade basically by in my really early days, in my twenties, trying some stuff, and um, and getting caught out. But to be honest, in the modern world, and really, if you want to succeed, what I've learned is very few senior people, very few CEOs like surprises, uh, like too many surprises, um, to particularly bad ones. Uh, and if you've got, you know, for example, unionized staff or you've got, you know, a, a culture of change aversion or whatever, you're better to just go and ask and say to your boss, look, I'm thinking of doing this, this is what I want to do, this is why I want to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So you lay it out, you make the pitch, and you say, you know, I'm not looking for you to do it for me, but are you going to be okay if I do this? So these days I'd say, yeah, you're better to ask than uh, ask for permission than ask for forgiveness. Sure. And if you go forward without asking permission, certainly there is no bubble there. There's no bubble. You're definitely out on your own. Now, you still have to then start to look at the other three layers that we're going to talk about, but I think there's there's one very strong and powerful needle that could come along and pop those very quickly, and that's your boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not many places you can go to if your boss says, look, you, I don't want you to do this. Whereas if your, some colleague says, I don't want you to do this, and you've got the support of your boss, you've at least got a, a little layer of protection there. Great. So what, what you said there were four layers. So. Yeah. Well, I like to think of it as the four layers as permission, persistence, resilience, and respect. Okay, and a nice little mantra to remember. Permission, persistence, resilience, respect. So we talked about permission. The second bit is persistence. And that is about taking a good look at yourself as a leader and saying, can I hang there in there and keep this going? I've seen a lot of change programs where the, the the boss has had a great idea, got really enthusiastic about it, and not followed through. You know, they, it's not just that they haven't had a, a good plan or a good idea or something that wouldn't work. It's just that something came up that took their attention elsewhere. Something else was important, and they stopped paying attention to the change program. And the trouble is, is once you've kicked change off, if you stop paying attention to it, then you're sending a message to your people that actually this wasn't that important to you. Because, you know, Heather, as you and I know, change doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little bit of time, particularly if, you know, what you're doing has got culture, cultural change in it. <clears throat> and these days, I, I don't think I see anything that doesn't have an implicit culture change. You know, you change working practices and, in effect, you're changing culture. So the first thing is persistence. So I, I ask managers to take a look at, like, okay, what's your, you know, how persistent are you normally? But also what normally comes up? 
what normally comes up in your calendar year, like your strategic stuff, like budgets, year-end, board papers, big client launches for sales companies. If you know those things are going to come up in your year, and you know and some organisations take a long, long, long time over budgets, then can you still keep your change programme going during that? Are you prepared enough to keep it up when other stuff comes at you, or are you likely to say, okay, I need to stop doing this, or is your tendency that you will just shift and not realise that you're shifting attention is sending a message to your people that you don't think it's that important. So the second layer is persistence. Okay, so are you talking about sort of distractions that come at you personally as the person implementing change, or are you talking about distractions that the organization is going through? Great, it's a bit of both. I think a really clear part is the leader. Until the cha- you know, until a change is embedded and uh, has become the way we do things, you know, um, then the leader must always be holding the banner for that change. Part of your job is reminding people, uh, keeping them back on track, you know, turning the tiller so that it goes back on when people go back to the old ways, all those kind of things. And so the key for me is that the leader remembers they've got to keep that banner up. So if you drop that banner because of budgets for a month, then everybody else will drop that banner. But yeah, there is the second dimension of being aware that you can be <clears throat> you can be attentive, but if your team gets too busy at a certain stage, they may drop it. You've got to have a little plan to say, okay, how do we keep it live during this period of distraction? So that's element two of the change bubble. That's so what's element three? And the next layer is resilience. <clears throat> that's really taking a look at yourself and saying, can you cope with a bit of resistance and adversity? Okay, so you think it's a good idea, and you get it laid out there, and you know, a lot of good managers actually bring about change that their people have been thinking for some time. We need something to change in this area. So if you're doing really well, your people in your department or your division can go, yeah, this is great, it's about time, let's get on with it, let's do it. And you're getting a little bit of traction going in your organization, so you've started to create a safe space. But then you can attract attention outside of your division. So this is partly why we talked about the permission. It is often possible that other managers will look at what you're doing and not like it. It may be that you are going against the way we do things around here, the way that the whole organization says you should do things. And they haven't seen what you've seen and your people have seen yet. Okay? It may be that your change has got some implicit uh, um, uh, changes for accounts or some other people, some other department, okay? and they don't like it. So what you're going to have is people coming at you and your boss uh, about, uh, dropping it, right? So you're going to get a lot of resistance and adversity from outside uh, with some changes. So one of the things you've got to you got you got to look at is can I cope with it? Okay, can I? How would I deal with this? How would I handle those conversations? Okay, because you can't tell them they're wrong. You aren't going to win by telling them you know they're wrong or you're just a dinosaur and you should change. You know, <laughs> that doesn't I've work. Seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> Well, people get, you know, you kind of, 
you know, as a leader, you've got to get excited about your change, and you, it's the right thing to do. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it, and you get passionate, and, and you, you know, and I've seen people pretty much suggest to other leaders that they are behind the times, the dairy, they should move on, and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, that, that ain't going to help you. Right. So I get, I ask my leader to, to look at, well, can you cope with this? Okay, and what would your response be? Are you the kind of person that goes out to, you know, DEFCON 4 straight away and creates a war, or can you negotiate? Can you convince people to cut you some slack and say, hey, you know what, I know you don't like it, but this is what I want to try, okay? And just, you know, use a little bit of your reputation to do that, right? Can you negotiate a win-win? Can you say, well, actually, if you do that, you know, if you let me do this, then I can help you with your bit. Okay, so do you know what they need? Can you hold back a little bit and, you know, and actually create a situation where you just hold them at bay for for your people. So can you take a little bit of resistance and adversity uh, coming your way by creating a layer of resilience that protects you and your people? Because if you don't protect your people from it, they're also going to say, oh, it's not worth it, boss, because um, you know I'm getting too much slack from accounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, is that primarily talking about overt resistance or... How about re- resilience when it comes to uh, sort of uh, hidden resistance, or the you know the kind of people sort of digging in their heels without actually saying something? Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one, and that's about your antenna of being able to see that. And you know, you, so you can get that within the within the department, can't you? You know, you can get a little bit of that, you know, digging in your heels within the department, for example. And you've got to apply that 80-20 in terms of, okay, I'm going to work harder than those that are going to go with me. And, and um, you know, you'll, you'll be convinced. So, you know, I've seen an awful lot of that where I guess the way you look at it is can you get people on the bus? Can you convince your own people to get on the bus? But, yeah, outside of your department, if you, you know, your real job is to get your people convinced because if you get your people convinced and you get your people doing it, then it's going to, Create a momentum that can't be stopped. And that's kind of going back to what I was saying about, you know, can this, does the CEO look at what you're doing as a positive bias for change? Sometimes something in an organization is that good, it can't be stopped, and, you know, the people that want to stop it do realize, well, I can't, I can't, everybody's, you know, everybody thinks this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, whether it's inside or out, you know, it's just about how you deal with it. You know, at the end of the day, you don't have to steamroll over another boss that's sticking their heels in and saying, you know, well, I don't care what you say, I don't like it. But you might just have to say, well, that's cool, but, you know, it's just the way it's going to happen. And you you can say that because you've got the permission from your boss and you've dealt, you know, you know that you can resist it, but you don't go straight to there. You know, you've, you've got to try and get people on site, make it safe for them, you know, uh, it, what you're doing may be threatening for another manager because, you know, they, they've done it another way for many, many years. So, you know, right. can you handle, can you, are you, you know, agile enough on your feet to handle those conversations? And I think one of the things I find is even just getting a leader thinking about the fact that those things might happen means they're better prepared. An awful lot of leaders don't really realize that they're going to raise something that other leaders are not going to be that happy about. Right. Great. 
And so you have layer. permission, persistence, resilience, and the fourth one is? Is respect. 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 Right, and this is where you really do have to take a good look at yourself, right, about the manager. Like, do you have the respect that you need to make this change happen, right? It's, and it's, a two, it's really a two-part thing. Do you already have the respect of your team that they are going to trust you, believe in you, you know, have you been honest up to date? Do you do what you say you'll do? Do you walk your talk and all that kind of stuff? But a really important thing is, are you going to be prepared to change yourself? Are you going to be the first one to change? Now, this is the bit that's quite tough for a lot of managers, and it's not always, um, you know, the, the avert, uh, Heather. It's not always the known. It's about looking at some of your working habits or your request or your behaviors that may reinforce the old way. So an example of that is I have seen uh, new systems put in place and the boss stands up and says, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get this information and that trail and this is the decision process. And it gets underway and they ask for an old report that has been dropped out of the system because they like it. And what they didn't realize was that they themselves then signaled that they did not believe in the new way of doing things by asking that question. They didn't mean to. It was just habit. And they blew it. They popped the bubble. So it's, it's looking at yourself and going, okay, is there anything I'm going to do that could stop this change happening, stop the belief, stop the momentum? Is there any of my behaviors that I need to look at Right, particularly with culture change, when you're trying to change people's attitudes and approaches, taking a look at yourself, okay, taking a look at how you interact, is it congruent with the new thing? And, and you know, that good old leadership, are you aware of your strengths and your weaknesses? Are there anything that, that, that's going to get in the way? So I actually find that, that getting a leader to actually take a look at themselves and go, okay, what do I need to change in order for this change to happen? is a massive signal for your people because, you know, if you're prepared to do something, then those below you are more likely to say, well, you know what, if, if she can do it, then, well, I can try, right? But so as I say, it's not always about them, uh, the bad habits. It's about the accidental, the unthought of, um, you know, the unthought of change buster. So it's a little bit about, so I call it respect because that's, that's what it ends up. People will look at you and go, well, I respect you for doing it. I respect you for trying. Uh, and you will lose the respect if you say one thing and you do another one. So right. that's about really taking a good look at yourself and how you operate in light of the change that you want to bring about. And that, that can be difficult for people to, to actually see what they need to see in the mirror. Do you have any tips for how to see... So things that you do automatically that you may not even realize that you do? You do it. That's it. That's it. And I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the root of leadership is self-awareness. So the best leaders that, that I've ever worked with um, have got a real strong sense of what they're about, where their buttons get pressed and they're not at their best, and where they're at their strength, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just an extension of this. Uh, you know, like, like yourself, Heather, a lot of what I do is not actually do change stuff for people. I work side by side with the leader as almost a change coach. 
And it's just that kind of coaching conversation. So I would say to any leader that's looking at it or listening to this and going, okay, actually it's not a conversation I've had before, but I realize I probably need to, is sit down with somebody and just work it through and go, okay, looking at this change, looking at me, what do I need to do? Um, and just have, you know, have a good conversation about it, think about it, like work it, work it through. But I say all the best leaders I know, um, they do a fair amount of self-reflection and self-awareness, uh, and that's that's really you know a strong suite of their leadership style. So if you're doing it from the middle and you haven't done it before, then it's probably something you want to do before you get to the top anyway. They can give you or me a call, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you or me a call, why not? <laughs> so uh, there's got to be either some self-awareness or maybe some feedback either from your your colleagues or from a coach who can work with you to, yeah. it might to just see be what you need to see. Well. Yeah. It might be somebody you know really well and just sit with them and go, look, you, know, you can see this is what we're trying to do. Is there anything I could do that would blow this or help me or, you know, is there any habit I have that, you know, if you've got somebody that you trust that's prepared to say, well, you know what, you see that report there, you know, you, you keep asking for it, man, and um, it's countercultural, and you, you know what, I didn't even realize that. Or, you know, the way you handle that meeting, blah, 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 you're going to need to change that meeting. And it's just little things like that. You go, yeah, I never even thought of that. And it just it's just that little preparedness. Um, somebody, somebody you trust somewhere helps. Great. Okay, so to recap on the four levels of the change bubble, you had permission, persistence, resilience, and respect. Yeah, and that's like four layers, and you can imagine those four layers come up, you build them around yourself and your team and your people, and imagine them as four layers, and of course each layer of the bubble, the bubble gets thicker, and that means anything from inside or outside that tries to burst the bubble is going to find it a lot tougher because you've got those four layers in place. And as I say, those are things for me that are aside, supportive of your normal change prep and plan, the good hardware and software stuff. It's more looking at yourself. Great. So you had talked about in the beginning that you need to start building the change bubble before you even start. So I'm wondering if there's a point at which you don't need it anymore. Well, I I, I think you, you, when the change has got its own momentum, um, as we t- talked about earlier, you know, when you've got enough people, um, when you reach that tipping point and people are up and running with it and it's got a life of its own, it doesn't need you to be reminding everybody. You know, you get to the point where people go, yeah, yeah, no, we're doing it. You know, we're doing it or you see the outcome and it's happening. Nobody's arguing about it anymore. Nobody's coming at you about questions. And You're quite probably, if you've done a really good job and this was a really good change, you've got people coming to you saying, hey, you know, that's great. Or the ultimate one, the one that you really want to have, is people coming to you from other departments and going, that is fantastic. Do you mind if I copy that? That's round about the time you know that the change is finished and you're into whatever's next and you can let go of the bubble a little bit. But, yeah, it's really when the change has got its own momentum, it's up and running, uh, people have taken it on board, you've been through all your, your challenges and your resistance, and um, you're getting a lot of signals that, yeah, it's here to stay. And yeah. that, it seems know, like that also might well. be the point at which the bubble expands even bigger. 
Oh, well, that would be great. And think I mean, about it so, that way, outside yeah. of your department and, and go into other departments. And so until yeah, it's really departments. the whole size of the organization. Yeah. And you go back to the loop and you go back to what was in it for the CEO. And if the CEO is looking at you going, okay, you try it. And if you can get that to work, and I have done this many times in my past, and I, I advocate it to a lot of leaders now and CEOs now, is if you want to try something, go some, you know, get it happening in one area and create a, bi- a positive virus, if that's what the CEO wanted and they see it happening, then yeah, you, that, you might get their permission or that they take the bubble the next phase and they, they expand the bubble through the rest of the organization. Great. Well, Martin, where can people find out more about you and about this change bubble idea? Uh, well, as you said, my, my business is called The Change Factor, so the most obvious pace place for anybody in this modern world is on the internet, so www.thechangefactor.com. Um, on that website, I put all my blogs, so I've got one blog uh, up now in support of this that basically starts this conversation, and I'm going to add another one in the new year that continues to expand on these four little layers that you and I have talked very briefly about it, so they can find it there. And that's where, I'm like yourself, Heather, I put information up out there just for people to learn from and share. And they're welcome to go look at my blogs or, or my or my website. From there, um, if anybody ever wants to email me, then because uh, I'm, in, I'm in New Zealand and they're in the good old USA, then they can do that there. And I'm happy to, um, happy to talk and share. Great. Well, Martin, thanks so much for being here. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, Wednesday morning over there. <laughs> It's morning for me, yeah. So it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Great. Thanks so much. So the next episode is coming up next year on Tuesday, January 17th, 2012 at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. My guest will be Al Pitampali, who is the author of a great book called Read This Before, Your next, Read this Before Our Next Meeting. And the topic we are going to be talking about is meetings, how to have effective meetings to drive change. And so you can look forward to that in the new year. In the meantime, if you would like to find more resources and learn how we might work together to help you influence change in your organization, please visit www.enclaria.com. Thank you so much for listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma. I hope you enjoy the holidays and have a happy new year. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. They're our best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. They're our best bags yet. And they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra-strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty.